the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, and we like to strip away everything that doesn't help marriage from normal marriage teaching and get back to the heart of what God intended. And on this, the last Thursday of the month, we are doing our Start Your Engines podcast where we focus a lot on guys, not entirely on guys, but a lot on guys. And so I have some guys joining me today. <laughs> I have my husband, Keith. Hey, everybody. And my son-in-law, Connor. Hi. And Connor is Rebecca's husband, so Rebecca's usually here, but you've taken her place today. I'm the stand-in. You're yeah. the stand-in. We're glad you're here. Okay, a couple of announcements before we get started. We have some prizes for people. So I love the fact that you guys listen to the podcast. I would love it even more if you got on our email list because I write so many great blog posts, especially the direct communication series this month. And so we are going to be giving away another copy of the orgasm course. So somebody who signs up to the email list this week before next Thursday's podcast, you're going to get one as well as someone who's already on the list. Um, congratulations to, I think it was Sarah who won it last time, um, but sign up. The link is in the podcast notes. Another thing, thank you so much to Brett Ullman uh, and his book, Parenting, Navigating Everything. He is our big sponsor uh, this month on the Bear Marriage podcast. And Brett's book is just so great because as a pediatrician, you know, by the time kids are teens mm -hmm. and they're getting into trouble, yeah. it is really too late. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's front loaded work. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. It's so much better to build a healthy communication earlier. Yeah. And so Brett's book goes into how to do that. Um, it's really comprehensive. All Every parenting question you've got, he answers it. So we will put a link to that. Thank you so much, Brett, for sponsoring. And he and I are in alignment so much on our philosophy. So I really appreciate his book. We are going to just launch into our discussion. So all month on the blog, we have been talking about direct communication. And direct communication means that you are able to tell someone what you are thinking and feeling and ask them for what you need. And this is a very difficult thing for many people. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a very difficult thing for me uh, originally, both with marriage, but even before that, I... I learned indirect communication from my mother and from my family. You know, it wasn't until I learned about different styles of communication in psychology class that I realized there's actually kind of a spectrum of communication. And it's not so much a matter of preference as it is directly a matter of effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And while indirect communication isn't the worst, it's above passive-aggressive communication. <laughs> yes, yes. You've got like passive-aggressive, well, you've got aggressive, passive-aggressive, passive, indirect, and direct is objectively the most effective method yeah. of communicating your viewpoint and uh, also having other people communicate their viewpoint to you. But of course, you know, being raised as an indirect communicator, when... I understand that when you speak with someone who is a direct communicator, it's it's uncomfortable. It's like can't you can't you like uh, can't you mute this under a couple of layers of subtext? Like just put a a blanket of passive aggressiveness over what you're trying to say instead yeah. of just telling me how it is. Yeah. I don't like that. Well, yeah, because if you, I, I have a good friend who says that she grew up with very indirect and passive aggressive communication, and then she married into a family that was very direct. And one day, her mother-in-law came to her and said, um, "We'll just call her Sarah. Uh, Sarah, just so you know, um, it really bothers." me when you do this and if you could do it this way that'd be so much better like I would I would really appreciate that well she just about had a conniption like she went home she she sobbed for three hours because she thought her mother-in-law hated her 
Like really, <laughs> her mother-in-law was just saying, hey, you want to do it this way? And her mother-in-law just, everything was great from then on. And, and she just did not know how to take that. Yeah. yeah. So direct communication can seem very, very... Hostile. Yes, yeah. but it doesn't need to be. And sometimes people label something as direct communication, which is actually aggressive. Yeah. Yes. You know, and you know, so we're not talking about being, you know, mean to people. We're talking about just saying what you mean yeah. in a way that's, you know, in the way, yeah. saying in a way that they can hear it, but mm-hmm. being clear about what you mean instead yeah. of beating mm-hmm. around the bush. That mm-hmm. sort yeah. of thing. Direct communication isn't about being mean or bullying or even bulldozing over other people's perspectives. It's just about not playing games with what it is that you mean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's still important. It's a different skill to be able to hear what other people are communicating to you and to take that into account. But direct communication is just about when I speak, is the other person going to understand mm-hmm. what I mean and mm-hmm. how I feel? Yeah. Are they going to be yeah. uncertain and have questions or is it all just going to be right out there? Mm-hmm. 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 And so we want to we build and help people build direct communication. We're going to put some links in the podcast notes to a lot of our um, posts that were up this month on different elements of direct communication and how you can improve that in your marriage. But what we really want to talk about today is why... A lot of Christian resources make it sound like men can't handle direct communication from women. Mm-hmm. Because I think this is incredibly insulting <laughs> to guys. And so I thought we would jump right in with a quote that um, Rebecca and I shared two weeks ago on the podcast. But I'm gonna, we're going to bring it up again so that we can see what you guys think of it. So this is from John Piper and Wayne Grudem's book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Even though that book is very old, this is from the new edition. So this is from a recent edition. They haven't taken this out. <laughs> All right. So I, I already know I'm not going to like this. Yeah. Um, so he is talking about how a woman might be in a position of leadership in some way and how this can be a dangerous thing. Okay. And he says, for example, a housewife in her backyard may be asked by a man how to get to the freeway. At that point, she is giving a kind of leadership. She has superior knowledge than the man or that the man needs, and he submits himself to her guidance. But we all know that there is a way for that housewife to direct the man in which neither of them feels their mature femininity or masculinity compromised. It is not a contradiction to speak of certain kinds of influence coming from women to men in ways that affirm the responsibility of men to provide a pattern of strength and initiative. And then he goes on to say that women cannot be both direct and personal at the same time. So they can be direct to a man as long as it's not personal and they can be personal as long as it's not direct. So for instance, To be direct but not personal is if a woman is an engineer and she designs freeways which will require cars to drive in a certain way because she's not telling any particular man he has to drive that way. But if she were to tell a particular man, for instance, if she was a police officer and she told a particular man how to drive, that would be both direct and personal and that would be wrong. (laughs) That's... that's Insane. So, so ultimately there, like for instance, a stoplight, if, if I'm a woman uh-huh. and I built this stoplight, yes. ultimately in their world, I should put a sign over saying, this stoplight was built by a woman. So if you're a man, please feel free to disregard. <laughs> like, well, no, because it's not personal. It's not personal. It's to all men, not to a particular man. Oh, I see. Okay. But if, if you, if she were riding in the car beside him and he did not see the stop sign, uh-huh. she should not tell him. 
to slow know. down, yeah. I guess. I because it's just crazy. Anyway. <laughs> it's just crazy. Or she, she would have to find a way to tell him that wasn't direct or personal. So, so she could do it in an indirect way. She could say... Um, I usually stop at stop signs. Yeah. What do you think about that? Or look, <laughs> I notice a stop sign. Or something like that. And that yeah. would be okay. So she's yeah. supposed to find a way in this in this scenario, well, a man is in her is, backyard. That, that's what I was going to say about this. I'm, you're telling this story and the first thing I'm thinking is, is why are we working on a theology which concerns ourselves with how a woman gives a man directions? <laughs> like, like is, is your theology of manhood and womanhood so fragile that the way a woman gives directions to a man, it all hinges on that? Yeah. I mean, like, come on. Like, there is a way, what is it? There is a way that she can speak that will not undermine his masculinity, or what did it yes. say? Yeah. And so, and so we're trying to yeah. both at the same time argue that men are inherently strong leaders... But also we need to be very careful around them because... If we're a woman. If, if, if we're a woman, yeah. because it's very easy to disrupt them and to undermine these strong leaders. This is, <laughs> this is the argument that we see here. Yeah. This kind of teaching is part of what I was saying to you earlier. And this is what drives me crazy is because we use words like respect and we don't mean respect, right? Mm -hmm. So is it okay to go into that? Or yeah, did you yeah. Have more you want to say yeah, that? Yeah. So the first thing is here is that He's talking about how there's a way that she can communicate to him that doesn't undermine his masculinity. Okay, well, here's the deal. When you communicate to people directly, you need to do that in a way that's respectful. So if you want to speak to somebody directly, you still need to treat them with respect and dignity. You can't just say, you're an idiot, stop doing it this way, I know what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. Like, that, that's not direct, that's just arrogant and mean, right? So direct communication says, this is what I think, this is what I, I, I would like. Where are you at with that? And the person, and you say that respectfully. And then the person can say respectfully back, mm -hmm. "Well, I, I recognize you want me to do that, but I don't have the time, or I don't think the toilet roll needs to be turned that way." Mm -hmm. You know, what, whatever it is, you can have a discussion as just two people respectfully agreeing or disagreeing or coming to a, a compromise on the particular issue. Mm -hmm. But what I see in the Christian church all the time is people use the word respect and. I think of respect like what I just talked about, but they don't mean respect. They mean deference. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is that men need to respect women, but women actually need to defer to men. Mm -hmm. But they use the same word respect. And it's in the subtext. And that's what I think he's talking about here. It's, it's like he giving her directions needs to be respectful, like not polite and, and stuff. But she needs to go another level. She needs to actually defer to him. Mm -hmm. Like she needs to have some sort of sense where she is consciously letting him know that she is below him in some way. And that's essential to his masculinity. Yeah. And that just drives me batty. Yeah. Like, I, would, I could never handle being in a relationship with a wife who felt like she was always having to make sure that I felt bigger than she was. Yeah. Like, that would drive me crazy. I wouldn't want that. Yeah. That's what a woman said. A woman wrote this, um, this in, and I, 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 I want your reactions to this. Last time I checked, we are supposed to find our identity in God through our relationship with Jesus. Yet these dangerous teachings are teaching both men and women alike that men find their masculine identity through the way we as women treat them. And this breeds hmm. nothing but male insecurity. Our identity is through relationship with Jesus, not each other. How does one justify, as a teacher of this garbage, find your identity through Christ, but women, you must treat men like a baby with kid gloves so he identifies his maleness through your behavior towards him. So basically, let's teach a deep hypocrisy. <laughs> How often do we find men who can't lead because they are so insecure about who they are and need us to define their masculinity? 
You know, if a man feels insecure about his manhood, look to his wife to boost it. And then she is supposed to get out of his way so he can lead, yet he can't figure out his maleness without her <laughs> constant hand-holding. I mean, come on, really? <laughs> How about this? How about we define who we are through our relationship with God? Mm-hmm. And I really like that because what we're absolutely not trying to say, I think, around here is that men are weak or men do need to be treated like kids. What we're saying is that you can be like, as a man, you can be strong, you can be respectable, you can even be a leader, uh, find those things in your, find those things in relationship with God, and they'll become true. Yeah, and and men do not need, like, I just find it so insulting to men, for, for women to, to have to treat them with these kid gloves all the time, so that these guys don't feel like they're emasculated, like, that's just weird. Yeah, like, like the like the examples you're giving of uh, a woman sitting beside a man who's driving saying, oh, look, it's a stoplight, or I usually stop at these. That would feel so patronizing, so condescending to me. Whereas if they just said, oh, honey, look out, stop sign. Oh, thanks. I didn't see that. Yeah. And it's just that simple. I don't feel like, oh, does my wife think I'm a baby? Yeah, it's just it's just normal communication, and yet yeah, they're adding a level to it that's not normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that it's appropriate for husbands to expect to be respected. So, like, mm-hmm. like if a person's saying like you're a bad driver, you're blah blah blah, and like just just saying these nasty things about you, then mm-hmm. it's okay to say no. I, I don't want to be talked to that way. I don't ex- I expect to be treated respectfully. Yeah, and you because I, I treat you with respect. Yeah. Um. So it's not that we're saying that you're allowed to say whatever you want to say. But if it's if there's something about women that they're supposed to treat men in a certain way, like that's just going to make a huge dynamic. That's going to be really bizarre. It, it was. It's kind of like I was saying to you earlier about you know when I was in high school, there was one girl um, who said to me once that like she was really smart, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize she was smart. But uh-huh. like I started seeing she was getting like like really high marks on on her tests and stuff like that because I, I was kind of competitive and I always wanted to be the smartest kid in the class but right. but, but uh, I had no idea she was that smart and I, I had a conversation with her once at lunch one day and she said basically that well no boys will ever pay any attention to you if they think you're smarter than they are mm-hmm. so she was feeling like she had to make herself look less intelligent look less to be acceptable and at the time I was only a teenager but I thought that was tragic mm-hmm. I would just never want that for anybody um, and so you know, this is what they're basically saying. Women, be smaller, mm-hmm. you know, so your man will feel bigger. I think any man, you know, doesn't, you know, if a man's really a man, he doesn't need his wife to be smaller for him to be bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that most men would say, yes, that's right. Yeah. You know, and, and most men would say, yeah, I, I'm, now I want my wife to treat me with respect, you know, but mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want her to make herself small so that I look big. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's, that's what a good man wants. Yeah, and it leads to all kinds of weird dynamics. Um, there's, I won't read it because we read it on, on a podcast two weeks ago, but there's a, an anecdote in Love and Respect. It's the only place in the entire book where he actually explains what a woman can do if a husband is actually doing something that is endangering the family or that is really treating her badly because normally throughout the book he just says well you need to respect him you need to respect him and then at the end of the book in the appendix he gives an example of how if he's a workaholic he gives this a few sentences that she can say to him to encourage him not to be a workaholic and then she must say nothing else for 10 to 20 days and just be pleasant but in those sentences that she's supposed to say it's all like passive aggressive and indirect like like connor was talking about it, it 
she never actually says, I would appreciate it if you could be home for dinner at least three nights a week. Mm -hmm. Like she never asks for anything. She mm -hmm. just makes all these observations. Like you're working a lot. You have such influence over our kids. She, they she really talks, need you. She, <laughs> what she's allowed to say is she's able to talk about the the positive outcomes of him making a change in behavior like you know it'd be so great if your kids got to see you more she doesn't she doesn't get to directly say this is impacting me like mm -hmm. this this is hurting me and you can still like you can still put that into a lot of loving and respectful talk and say listen you know this i know that you don't mean to hurt me uh and i know mm -hmm. that's not your intention here but it really does put a lot of burden on my shoulders and it does hurt me emotionally uh, when you are not consistently around for dinner, when you don't communicate, uh, when you're going to be out late. And I, I really need us, not just, wouldn't it be great if we could work as a team? I really need us to be working more as a team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're just, she's not allowed to do that because that's too direct. And mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a problem. I, I, had a, I had a guy write in to, um, to me about this, about the Love and Respect conferences. And he said, someone shared your podcast with me and I found it to be really interesting. It was great to hear about Love and Respect. Years ago, my wife and I attended the seminar and it was one of the few marriage seminars that a lot of us men could relate to because many of us felt an incredible need for our wives to be respectful to us. However, many of the wives balked at the idea and I had never understood why until your podcast. I didn't realize that many people took it to mean unconditional respect. Maybe I misunderstood the seminar, but when what many of us men felt was a strong need for our wives to value our contributions, to be proud of us and our accomplishments. The way you described respect had never crossed my mind. Um, salute your husband as he walks in the door for no reason, but it makes sense if other wives saw it the same way. I will now go and apologize to my wife. <laughs> and he does talk about unconditional respect there in, a, yeah. in the book. Well, he, he says that respect means being the boss. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he makes the marriage like an employee-employer relationship, yeah. and which, respect, is, which, is, which is terrible. Yeah, and, and in the tagline for his book, respect is what the man needs. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas love is only what she desires and needs, yep. needs Trump desires. Okay, here's, a, here's another viral quote. Someone wrote this on a Reddit thread. And it was, or maybe it was a Tumblr thread many years yeah. ago. And it's been repeated multiple times, but nobody knows who to actually attribute it to. <laughs> so I don't, have, I don't have the name of the person who wrote it. If anyone knows, let me know. Um, but uh, this is brilliant. She said, sometimes people use respect to mean treating someone like a person and sometimes to mean treating someone like an authority. For some, if you don't respect me, I won't respect you means if you don't treat me like an authority, I won't treat you like a person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the feeling that I get from Emerson Egrich in Love and Respect. Like yeah. he's saying that men, if men are not treated like an authority, you can't expect them to treat their wives well because they need to be treated like that authority. And now, to be honest, he does say that men should love their wives, yes, even if they don't respect them. He does, but he, he also say says that the crazy cycle is started by yeah. women's lack of respect. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is just through the whole church, that's the concept. Mm -hmm. It's that women need to defer mm -hmm. to men. Mm -hmm. It's not about respect, it's about deference. And to, to me, I think the answer is, we should be respectful to each other. Mm -hmm. And if we were, that would be fine. I think that everything this man asks for, he wants his wife to feel proud of him. She wants to value his contributions. Absolutely. I think yeah. it's appropriate for a man to want that. 
I think it's appropriate for a woman to want that as well, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it, that it's okay for her to say, I want to feel like my contributions matter to you. I want you to feel like you're proud of what I do and you're mm -hmm. happy with what I do. I think that that's healthy. Yeah. yeah. And I do think that women need to be a lot better at thanking husbands for their contributions because often often we don't do that very well. I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> I was going to say, this is now on tape. This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. That's but, great. But as a, mom, as a, as a dad of This girls, is going on my favorites of podcasts. Yes. Yeah. As, as a dad of girls and as someone who will soon be a dad yes. of a girl, um, I would like to read you some advice. Oh, no. That is given to teenage girls. I don't think I'm going to like this. No. In um, Shanti Feldon's book, For Young Women Only, which is about how how teenage boys need respect. Okay. Okay. So we're not talking now, because the whole point of the, the thing is the verse in Ephesians where a, a, a husband needs respect. Mm -hmm. So now it's not a husband. It's all men need respect from all women. Right. Okay. Yes. And this isn't even in a relationship. This is just the boys in your life. So the boys that you're doing a group project yeah. with yeah. at school... The boys, and that actually afterwards, I think that that ties me into uh, a point that I want to make about uh, some of Emerson's larger body of work outside just his marriage stuff. That's yeah. really relevant. Okay, so here's what here's what here's how she's explaining how important respect is to teenage boys. Many guys have a tough time expressing their feelings, and so they can't always explain why they are upset. But thankfully, there is a way to know when we have crossed the disrespect line. Watch for anger. Yeah, I remember you read that to me before. Yeah, so she's telling teenage girls that if a boy is angry at you, that means you've been disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Watching for anger will tell you some things. About that. <laughs> That's not... Well, what it should tell you. I mean, that's scary, right? Yeah. Because cause the concept there is that he's angry, therefore you made a mistake. Yes. And, and that really bothers me. Yeah. But here's the deal. Okay, I agree with her. Guys are often not good at expressing their emotions. Yes. Because of all this kind of garbage that we're taught, right? Like, right. so instead, why not make a solution instead of teaching women to not ever do anything that makes a man feel disrespected, why don't we teach men how to understand their feelings? Yeah. Like, yeah. wouldn't that be a healthier thing to do? Like, it used to be a true statement that women couldn't vote. Does that mean that it's right? Does that mean that it's the way that we decided things had to continue going because this is how it is? Yeah. Or did we say, you know what, actually, I think it might be mutually beneficial for all of humanity if uh, we change this going forward. So why can we <laughs> yeah. not say the same thing about men not having emotional intelligence and emotional maturity? And then yeah. at the same time, we complain about the, uh, the elevated suicide rates in men. Yep. Yeah, because because and and the thing is, it's not true too. There there are a lot of men that are completely emotionally mature. Mm -hmm. Oh sure. Like this whole idea that men don't understand their feelings. Like yeah, some guys struggle with that, but not everybody does. No. And the ones who do, like, can learn and can can grow in this area. Yeah. Yeah. And and it requires you as as their wife, because we're talking about husbands and wives now, yeah. to talk to them about these things in a respectful way. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you have to defer and be backwards and, and passive aggressive and say things and hint rather than just coming out and saying things. Yeah. yeah. And the problem with this with for young women only, like she's she's telling teenage girls that 
You know, you need to, if you have, if you have more knowledge about something than a boy, you don't want to let him know that you have yeah. more knowledge. She's, she's and, basically saying my, my friend in high school right. was right. Mm-hmm. Like, she's right. She's got the right, she's on, she's on right, she's on the right track. Yeah. She realizes boys aren't going to like it if you're smart, so pretend like you're dumb. Yeah. That's, that's the right answer. And that's what And that makes me really angry because, because mm-hmm. as a f- father of daughters, I want my daughters to be all they can be. And I don't want them to be holding back and, you know. Like not doing yeah. things because they're a girl. That makes no sense to me. But it's also it's also making girls responsible for men's feelings and men's reactions. Oh yeah. And this yeah. is what I find really yeah. difficult is like if he gets angry at you, it's because of something you did. Yeah, that's that's the part that I immediately in my head like react to the most mm-hmm. on just like a visceral level is this idea that yeah, if you you know you've gone too far and you've you've done something you shouldn't have done if he gets angry because that sets people up it sets up young girls for some potentially really dangerous dynamics Mm -hmm. that can make it really hard if they go back and they look at this advice it can make them really hard to get out of a terrible terrible situation yeah like if what i would tell what i did tell my daughters when they're growing up is if there's a teenage boy around you who's angry all the time stay the heck away from him mm-hmm. yeah like i wouldn't tell them maybe you disrespected him like are you <laughs> no, kidding I mean, me what is that like because that boy needs to grow up and, and that's red you, flag for abuse yeah mm-hmm. that's like not you the kind do of, but but we're telling girls from a very young age that they are responsible for men's emotions and that's what this whole thing is doing is like guys don't understand their emotions guys you know need to feel respected and so women you need to be so extra careful how you word everything mm-hmm. because he is very very fragile yeah. and his manhood depends on you saying things exactly right yeah and i'll say guys like this is good for us like what we're what we're t- this direct communication and all of this stuff this is good for us like i said in the beginning i used to be very indirect communicator uh but rebecca and her whole family like you guys are a lot more direct than i'm yeah, used we're, to we're pretty direct <laughs> and there were some clashes in the early part of our marriage be because of this like just not big things but it was usually the source of our arguments or disagreements would have something to do with the way that we communicated and as i learned to become more direct in our relationship and to not get offended and not just crumple have my ego like collapse in on itself anytime rebecca was direct with me i've actually found it so much easier to really get my point across and to actually take a stance Mm -hmm. when we are having a conversation uh i can take a stance when uh when i when we're having an argument and express my point of view clearly and she can express her point of view clearly and we can actually reach a point where we can say uh, you know, sometimes Rebecca will say, yeah, you know what, I I, uh, I understand where you're coming from and I think you're right. And it's a joke, you know, it's been a joke for a long time that the woman is always right and the man is just supposed to, is just supposed to shut up and say, you're right, I'm wrong, sorry. But when we're all communicating directly, that doesn't have to be the case because we both have good things to say. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you said that... Uh, uh, that there's this idea, oh, the woman's always right, and you know, mm-hmm. just learn how to say you're right, honey, and that's all you need for marriage to work. And that's one of the running jokes we have. The other running joke, except that it's a lot more serious, I think, is that women nag. 
mm-hmm. right? Like women mm-hmm. are seen as nagging when really we're often, often, not always, some women seriously do nag. Um, but if you're just asking your husband to do something and he doesn't do it, and so you ask him again, is that necessarily nagging? Mm-hmm. Or is there something else going on? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's we were t- before the, we did the podcast. You and I were talking about that because I don't. I don't feel like you nag me ever. Yeah. Because because no. you ask me to do something. Yeah. And then I tell you no. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I say yes, and if and it's like you know the Bible says that your yes be yes, your no be no. So if mm-hmm. you say, mm-hmm. can you do this? And I say yes, I'm gonna do it right? right. And and if I can't, I'll tell you. And sometimes I'll say yes, and I'll realize that actually I don't have time or yeah. whatever. But like. <laughs> like I just say no when I can't, and I say yes when I can. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't understand where the nagging comes from. Yeah. Now I do want to say nagging is not the same thing as direct communication. There is a difference between yes. them. But like we're talking about here, just a woman asking a man to do something. Uh, I think like I was saying earlier uh, to you guys before we started recording, if my wife if my wife asks me to do something. And I say yes, then I do it. And if I say no, like you said, then, you know, I have to have a reason like, well, because I think we should re, uh, I think we should reevaluate and see if this is the best thing to do here. Or it can be like, I just don't really think the toilet paper roll needs to be that way. Yeah. Or like you can have your own opinions. Yeah. But if I say yes, I will do that tonight or I will do that tomorrow. Like I don't have time right now. I'll do it in a bit. If I then don't do that thing and my wife comes to me later and says, hey, Connor, that thing that you said you were going to do uh, yesterday o'clock, I couldn't help but notice it's she, not she, done. She wouldn't say that. She, she would not say that. She'd be direct. Would, yeah, she'd be very direct. She'd be like, hey, hey Connor, uh, I just said you were going to do that thing and it's you haven't done. done it. Can you get that done, please? It's really blocking my day. The classic example that we always use from Love and Respect is the wet towels on the bed. Oh yeah. Right? Gosh. So so he talks about how he would leave the wet towels on the bed. She would tell him not to. She goes away for a week. She returns and says, did you miss me? And he basically says, no, I didn't because it was so great to not have someone nagging. Nagging. Yeah. And, and She learned not to nag. And the resolution of all that is that she learned to stop asking. Asking him to stop. Whereas we're saying he should have had a direct communication. He should have said, No, I think I'm your boss and I can leave the towels wherever I want (laughs) and you're my servant, so pick them up and stop complaining. And then she could have addressed that directly. No, she she was not allowed to because she has to say something which is positive and wait 10 to 20 days before she says it again. Sorry, I I don't know if that's a little bit. Is that too much? No, no, that's fine. (laughs) That that basically is what he's saying in the book. Anyway, is that, that, that's my opinion of how right. it you know, um, plays out. But, but this idea that, that it is nagging, that, that she is the one at fault if she repeatedly asks him to do something as mm-hmm. opposed to the fact that maybe the fact that he never followed through on what he yeah. said he would do is yeah. the issue. Yeah. And, so like, and so here's a distinction. You know, again, like if Rebecca asked me to do something, I don't do that thing and she brings that up later and says, Connor, you didn't do that thing. I, it's important mm-hmm. that you do that thing. The failing is on me. Mm-hmm. Because I did not do the thing after I'd said I was going to do it. you said you were going to do it. Now, yeah. Yeah. you know, if she were to ask me to do a thing and I were to, you know, give a good direct reason of why I would do that thing, but I would have to do it that evening or I would have to do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she approached me three more times throughout that day saying, hey, Connor, is this, is this going to get done? Yeah. You know, like you said, you're going to do it tomorrow. Is it going mm-hmm. to get done tomorrow? That... That's that starts to get into that uh, into that kind of degrading mm-hmm. territory where it's like now 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 you're 
talking down to me. Right. And and there can be other forms of nagging where people mm-hmm. honestly do, like where you're constantly criticizing and picking at someone, like yeah. where you choose to only see the yeah. negative and not the positive. Yeah. Sometimes the intent behind it yes. is to whittle someone down. Right. And that's not what we're talking about when we say direct communication. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So this brings us into um, some a new research segment for the podcast. Here's some new research that I have for you. You guys actually talked about this in the last Start Your Engines podcast. Oh, um, okay. But we were talking about mental load and you were talking right. about sunscreen and going to the beach and mm-hmm. how... Yeah. You know, men can take it on themselves to learn all this stuff. Well, there's a, there's a study in the American Sociolo- Sociological Review. I should be able to say that since my degree is Agreed. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, talking about what they're calling cognitive labor. And they're suggesting that we start using this term of cognitive labor and recognizing the importance of it. Because often when we think of housework, we think of dishes and vacuuming and cleaning the windows. And we don't think of the cognitive stuff, which is planning for what needs to be done, yeah. deciding how it needs to be done, etc. And women do the majority of cognitive labor. And so it's another way of saying mental load, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll put a link to the study, it's kind of interesting, but um, one of the best ways to get to, to get over nagging, I think the nagging dynamic where she asks and then she keeps asking and it doesn't get done is just to have people own different parts of the housework so mm-hmm. that you don't just because like if I if I say to you hey um, can you do the dishes tonight mm-hmm. and you say sure mm-hmm. but you don't realize that I always do the dishes well you do actually because <laughs> <laughs> you because you, you cook the food yeah right? yeah so that makes sense yeah but you don't realize that um, I was planning on making lunches for kids tomorrow and I can't do that okay. until the dishes are done. Right? Because I have this whole plan in my head, and so I'm waiting for you to do the dishes, and you haven't done them, and now I can't get the rest of my stuff done. So it's like if, if somebody owns the entire task, <laughs> then you no. don't get into these these little... Yeah, well, I mean, again, that's parts. solved by direct communication, saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you do, can you do the dishes? I need the counter space for X, Y, and Z, can, so mm-hmm. let me know. And that person can say, look, actually, I've got a bunch of stuff from work i got to finish. I can't do it right now. And you can decide, okay, well, then I'll just do the dishes because... I got to get this, this stuff yeah. done. And, yeah. and people, people can make decisions yeah. if you are just openly and honestly saying what you can and can't yeah, do right because now. Because in that scenario you just laid out, there are two different outcomes. One, he says, yes, I can do it. He does it. And uh, the dishes are done and she can get her stuff done. Two, he says, no, I can't do it. Here's why. And she says, okay, well then I will do them and I'll figure out a way to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. And the dishes get done and she can do what she needs to do. We don't have that scenario where they don't get done and everything is ruined. Right. <laughs> well, and, but, and, and that's what I was thinking too, is, is if you honestly believe this idea that women need to defer to men and be very careful about what they say to men so that they don't offend their masculinity. Well, now here it is. He said he's going to do the dishes, but they're not done and I really need this counter space. How do I, how do I communicate mm-hmm. that to him? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a way that doesn't offend his masculinity, right? So then you come around all these different weird mm-hmm. pathways and suggestive and this and that. And like, it's just, it's so, you know, it's so bizarre. It's really funny because in September... Just say, just say, look, are you going to do the dishes or yeah. not? Because if you're not, I'll do them. Yeah. <laughs> in September, we're starting a new series called Marriage on Hard Mode. Like, are we doing marriage on hard mode? And... I really think a lot of this stuff is just making marriage a lot harder than it needs to be. Like, just say what you think and mm-hmm. say what you need. Like, yeah. this whole idea of how we have to defer. So, we always talk about sex. At least <laughs> we tend to. So, I want to end this thing by talking about how women, how, 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 how women are often taught that we can't be direct when it comes to sex either. And men are often portrayed as very fragile in this area as well. Oh. And I think that it's, it's rather... Um, 
demoralizing and degrading to men. So here we go. Okay. okay? So in for women only, Shanti Feldon says that men's biggest need in the sex department is to feel like we want to and we're enthusiastic. It isn't just for sexual release, which I'm actually, I think that's yeah, great. Yeah, that's great. That's mm -hmm. awesome. I'm really glad she said that. So I have no problem with that thesis. It's, it's much better than Emerson Egrich's in Love and Respect. So way to go, yeah. Shanti, for that. Okay, good. But then she says this. If at all possible, respond to his advances with your full emotional involvement, knowing that you're touching his heart. But if responding physically seems out of the question, let your words be heart words, reassuring, affirming, adoring. Do everything in your power using words and actions your husband understands to keep those pangs of personal rejection from striking the man you love. Leave him in no doubt that you love to love him. Okay, so basically... I don't, I don't know what that means. Okay, so... What are, what are heart words? I have no idea. But if, if responding physically seems out of the question, in other words, if, it, if sex just ain't doing anything for you, and if you're not aroused, and if you're not well, feeling anything... That's the other thing, too, is, is that this, all this, this is totally indirect communication. Like people, yeah, I know, she's people, not... <laughs> and I think it's because Christ, the Christian church tends to have a lot of hang-ups about talking about sex. We don't, yeah. we don't talk about it in direct clear terms yeah so if responding physically seems out of the question so if you're not aroused if you're not having yeah. an orgasm you, you were having a great time and now you're worried about the kids recital tomorrow and your mind's gone somewhere else and it's not working for you like right. that, you, you've talked about this before that happens yeah. sometimes so let your words be heart words so you need to reassure him and basically what your, your job is to let him know that you really enjoy having sex with him even when your body is not enjoying having yeah. sex with him. And she doesn't say anywhere how to tell him a little to the left. <laughs> like you get the impression that if she were to say a little to the left, that would not be a heart word. Like that would not be reassuring. So giving him directions. Right. How to, yeah. It's the same thing. It's back to the direction thing. You can't tell him how to be a better lover to you. And maybe, maybe she would, but there's just, there's nothing in the book to tell. The book doesn't say you're allowed to do that. What the book says you're supposed to do is make him feel like he's doing a great job. So what you're telling us is that the books that were written for women uh -huh. are telling women, if your husband is not doing the things that make you feel good in sex, you should tell him that they are working. Right. That's what women are hearing. So he feels I don't think guys know that. Yeah. I don't think, I honestly don't think guys know that. Yeah. And she's not the only one who did it. Tim LaHaye said, a wise and considerate woman goes out of her way to make her husband feel like he's a great lover. But he doesn't say that, like, the husband should be a good lover in that same passage. Mm -hmm. Or any way that she could speak up if her husband isn't being a good lover. Like, it's just that you're supposed to make him feel like he's a good lover. Yeah, see, because I don't think guys realize that women are being taught that. Yeah. And I think that this, like, there's a lot of things, in The Great Sex Rescue, there's a lot of guys who are commenting about how I had no idea women were being, my wife was being taught this stuff. Yeah. And they were the champions who kind of told their wives, like, no, you don't have to believe like that. I don't think mm -hmm. that way about sex. I don't think that way about you. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those things I think guys have the real opportunity to tell their wives, like, no, wives, like, you know, no, I don't want you to lie to me and say it's amazing yeah. when it's not. I want you, if, if, if it can feel better for you, tell me how to make it feel better for you. I think most guys mm -hmm. in Christian relationships you know, want that. They want their wives to tell them, like, you know, we kind of rushed through foreplay. I'd, I'd like to spend more time doing this. Or if you gave me a back rub first, that would feel nice. Or I really love it when you text me that you love me. It gets me in the mood and, you know, mm -hmm. or like things like that. Like we want to know that kind of stuff, yeah. most guys, I yeah. think. But a lot of women feel like it's a sin to say anything. If I say anything, I am undermining your manhood yeah. and so I am... So guys, fix that. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, look, I'm looking at you guys, okay? Go back and tell your wives, I want to be a, the greatest the greatest lover I can be. Like, mm-hmm. how can I do this better? Like, I want to learn. I want to be a student of your body. I want to be a student of what makes you feel good. Yeah. Like, we should be doing that. I think most I think most guys would be all for that. Okay, so let me ask you this then, because this is, this is the overwhelming thing I get when I read all these books, and I don't understand this. Yeah. Why... Do men like John Piper and Emerson Egridge and Tim Light, like, why do they write stuff like this? Like, like, why is John Piper writing about how women can't be direct and personal at the same time or this will undermine his manhood? Like, what is up with that? Like, I don't even get it. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> well, because it's all based upon this idea that men are meant to be above women. Like, that's the most important thing. That, yeah. that the woman the woman needs to put herself below the man, um, and the man is meant to be the the man like, is the the man is the focus, and the woman is the helper in the sense of she's but, she's an additive to him. Okay, I get that, but do they not see that that makes them sound so pathetic? Like, I'm sorry, I don't know another word for it, but that's really pathetic. Like, if oh, you're yeah. if you're gonna if, be if you're gonna be undermined by a woman saying you go through three stoplights and then at the fourth stoplight you turn left yeah. and there's a sign to yeah. the freeway, if that's gonna undermine your masculinity, yeah. like holy cow, yeah. you've got issues. Yeah, it's treating it's treating <laughs> men like they're really fragile, and it's like we're not. We don't have to be. <laughs> you know, we yeah. can, if we really if we really apply ourselves, and I mean this, guys, if we really apply ourselves, we can be just as tough as women. <laughs> <laughs> But like that, like that's that is what it sounds like. It sounds like women are these really mature people who can handle every emotion, and they're and, so, and they're able to weather everything, or they're at least supposed to be able to weather everything from their husbands. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to take really good care of what words we use, so that we don't undermine our husbands. And it's like it it, it makes men sound so weak. And it's just, no woman wants to be married to a weak man. No man wants to think his wife thinks he's weak. Mm -hmm. And so why are these books treating him like Mm -hmm. that? So what I would say is, is, so first of all, it gets back to the respect deference thing, right? Uh It's like, there's this fear that in this mentality, this idea of men are supposed to be above women. There's this fear that if we start talking directly and this stuff, that women are going to treat men completely disrespectfully, right? Mm -hmm. It's like... No, that's not what we're saying. We're just saying you treat each other with respect, right? You you treat you say you say things directly, you say things politely, but mm-hmm. you you each have your say. If you need a person to stop their viewpoint, to be in a lower position than you, then yeah, that's 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 not appropriate. I remember when you were fighting with Steve Camp a couple of years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, and he was talking about how women are more deceived than men, and all these things about why women can't be leaders in the church, and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And someone challenged him and said, like, why are you afraid of strong women? And he was like, I'm not afraid of strong women. I'm not, you know. And this is what I hear from these people all the time. I'm not afraid of strong women. If you're not afraid of them, why don't you let them talk? <laughs> Come on. Like, like, if you're not afraid, then yeah. why are you so fussy about telling a housewife to be really careful about how she gives directions to a guy who asks her for directions? Who like, shows up in her backyard for some which very is kind of creepy. reason. <laughs> which is kind of creepy. But the, point is, <laughs> but the point I'm making here is like, is like, if you're not afraid of strong women, okay, mm-hmm. then great. I think that's awesome, right? Yeah. But don't say, I'm not afraid of strong women and do a bunch of stuff to keep women from talking and keep women from expressing their positions and keep women, it, making women feel like they need to put themselves in a, perf, in a position of complete 
deference all the time. Yeah. That's that is fear. If you if you need to put someone in a position where they're always deferring to you, you're either afraid of them or you don't respect them. To, in my mind, to talk I, to, I don't know. I make, I make it all. I mean, to to talk to the John Camp situation, like I'm not afraid of strong women, but Sheila, I would actually rather talk to your husband. About this <laughs> he said that. Yeah, he yeah. said that. He said that yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of men who are not afraid of strong women, we are gonna go. We're gonna turn this over to Michael John Cusick uh, for a reader question. Well, I have brought Michael John Cusick onto the podcast. Hello, Michael. Hi, Sheila. Good to be with you again. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear Michael. I, I'm a big fan. I, I, Michael and I met on Twitter a couple of months ago, and then I was on his podcast, and he was on this one, and he sent me his book, Surfing for God, um, Discovering the Divine Desire uh, Beneath Sexual Struggle. And I read this. It's amazing. It's really good. It deals with how men especially can can deal with lust and porn addictions by understanding what's really going on beneath the surface and get real healing so it's not just about white knuckling through it and trying to do better through willpower but it's about real divine healing and i think it it was awesome (laughs) i'm so glad to see this book that it's out there and so i thought i would bring michael back and michael you're a you're a licensed therapist as well right yeah, that's right. And if I can add, my book really came out of my experience. I was a sex addict and an alcoholic while living a, a public Christian life in ministry. So the book is clinically sound, um, spiritual formation based, but but autobiographical. Yeah, that's awesome. I really, I really enjoyed reading it. I think it has a lot of hope. So I have, I have a reader question for you. I think you're perfect for this one. Very short one to the point, but I think it's something that a lot of women deal with. And it's the question, how do you get your husband to deal with the fact that he has a porn or sexual addiction if he is deep in denial? This is probably uh, the single most frequent question that I have from women, whether it's doing some kind of a consultation or sitting with somebody. And um, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is that no one can get anyone to come out of denial. And if we could, then people's addictions would probably diminish by 75% across the world. However, there's a biblical category for denial. If you look up that word in your concordance or on your Bible software, you won't see the word denial, but it's the category of Mm self-deception. And one of the world's foremost uh, addiction experts is Dr. Gerald May, who passed away some time ago. He wrote a book called Addiction and Grace. And he said of the five characteristics of addiction, tolerance, withdrawal, preoccupation, powerlessness, the number one category to define an addiction is self-deception. So there's never been an addict who in the very first conversation and generally the 100th conversation goes, you're right, I'm an addict. No, it's not that bad, etc. So in uh, 1 John, we hear uh, the beloved disciples saying that if we, um, I actually wrote this down here, so I don't have to flip through my Bible. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. ourselves and the truth and, is not in yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not just a particular sin, but if we if we have a posture in our heart that says, nope, not me, as opposed to shine your light and search me and know me, um, then that's actually a certain kind of sin. And that's the sin of resisting the truth that will set us free. In James 1, 13 through 16, it talks about temptation and it talks about lust in there, interestingly. And as it talks about what lust and desire and temptation is, it says, don't be deceived. And interestingly, it says brothers, um, because every good and perfect gift comes down from God. 
And so in my book, I talk about uh, designer gifts, God's our designer and deceiver gifts. And whenever the deceiver is involved, he's lying, he's deceiving, he's accusing, and there's that part of it as well. So self-deception almost always has some kind of a spiritual attachment to it. And so for a person in relationship with someone in denial or self-deception, there's a way of praying, God, um, shine the light into the darkness, reveal, open the eyes of their heart. Um, having said that, the category of denial in and of itself more and more in the field is coming to be understood less about resistance and a conscious sense of no, you're wrong, I'm not gonna face that, and more of a neurological condition. And uh -huh. in, in other words, it doesn't let anybody off the hook, but that addicts live in a dysregulated state. So they go into a fight or flight mode and they're anxious or they shut down and they're freeze. And, and the addiction, especially sexual addictions, either wakes up the frozenness or it brings them into a calm, soothing place where they're dysregulated. So when a person feels safe and within what we call the window of tolerance where all the normal ups and downs of life can happen, when they feel safe, they're much more likely to hear the input of others, to hear uh, a kind of reflection of what's real. So in uh, James chapter one, it talks about that deception. Fast forward several verses to verse 23, and it says, don't be like the man who looks in a mirror, sees himself, and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. So mm -hmm. this is really a psychological, spiritual, emotional reality. And the bottom line is that the power that a woman has, and this is good news, is setting boundaries and saying, you're welcome to live in denial, and here's what I'm going to do. Because the best set of boundaries is not an ultimatum, but rather, here's what I need, here's the relationship I want, here's my boundaries around sexuality and you're acting out, and you're welcome to make a choice and do what you want to do, but here's what I'm going to do. And that's very empowering. And for most addicts, it's a relationship or some kind of significant consequence that leads people out of denial and into a process of beginning to do the work of healing. Right. So what, what practically would such a boundary look like? Like, and I know it would vary for different couples and for different situations, but can you give us just a few examples of what it might look like? Yeah. Some people might think that this is like high up on the list in terms of its extremity, but I think a woman should never be sexually intimate with her husband if she doesn't feel emotionally safe. And porn and sexual addiction is a, a breaking of trust. It is a betrayal. And therefore, until that is repaired, until she feels uh, emotionally safe and then uh, capable of being physically safe, and I don't mean from assault, but that her she can be present in her own body, that... Mm -hmm. um, there needs to be an emotional, relational, and spiritual intimacy prior to the physical intimacy. And many people in marriages where there are sexual addictions, and this was true with my wife and I, that the physical can become a substitute for the emotional connection. And guys will often say, you know, the wife will think the marriage is in the tank, and he'll say, as long as we're having sex and we're not fighting all the time, then wow, we're great. And that's not intimacy. Um, that's just cohabitating and being sexual. Yeah, because in a way, sex too is is often a way to check in on the health of your relationship. So if she's still having sex, she's communicating, we're all good. Exactly. <laughs> even exactly. if she's saying the opposite, even if she's saying this needs to stop, by having sex, she's saying we're all good. Yes. So one of the things I love about your book and how it's so powerful is that the myths that women have believed 
and um, literally uh, responded to is that I have to have sex with my husband because the Bible tells me that I have to submit or not to withhold myself. And you expand on those. But one of the reasons why women don't set boundaries and feel like they can't say no is because they're forbidden scripturally from doing so and nothing could be farther from the truth. Right, exactly. So I, I think that that boundary is a hard one for many women to do. So I would think that she might also need to see a counselor. Like if he's, if he's not in denial, I think her seeking out a mentor, a counselor, like often you need someone to walk beside you in that or read a good book or whatever. Like, do you have any other recommendations for what she can read if they can't afford counseling? Yeah. Thank you for making it more practical. Um, The book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend, which I'm sure all your listeners, Mm -hmm. I think it's sold like 40 million copies or something like that. And, you know, there's boundaries for poodles and boundaries for uh, just every category of human Boundaries in golf, you know, whatever it may be. So that, what that helps to do is to um, give the wife a voice. And I would say that's the other thing to go from what might feel extreme to the practical, talk to a counselor and a good counselor will help to empower the wife to get back her voice to get back a sense of self. Whenever trust is broken, there's a kind of inherent question of, is it okay to be me in this relationship, to show up, to bring my wants, needs, desires, et cetera. And when there's betrayal, women either go in one of two directions. I would say men too, so this is not about women, that they either want to somehow reclaim control and put too many requirements and boundaries in place or they will give up control and therefore give up their sense of self. So, you know, here's where all sin and, and, and betrayal and wounding becomes an opportunity. With the gospel, the wild card in every unfavorable thing we can experience is that instead of it being a barrier to life and joy and freedom, it can actually become a bridge to a deeper mm-hmm. kind of life and joy and freedom than we might otherwise have known. And that's been the case for me. That's beautiful. I think that's a great place to land. So thank you, Michael. Um, Where can people find you, find your book? I know you have a podcast as well. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, the podcast is Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. And there's a couple hundred episodes and we talk about everything from sexuality, porn addiction to trauma and um, how couples can develop more intimacy on all levels. Um, and we, we have a lot of thought leaders. It's uh, an interview format like yours. Also, uh, my main organization is Restoring the Soul, where we do intensive counseling with couples and individuals where people come in half-day blocks for one or two weeks and really get unstuck in a way that uh, they, they move forward many times after going to multiple counselors and not getting the help that they really need. Awesome. So I will put the links um, for that in the podcast description that goes along with this so you can find Michael. And thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Keep on doing what you're doing. (laughs) I really, I really like him. I think he's got such really good insight into the whole issue of sexual addiction and talks about it in a way that's so much healthier than every man's battle. So go check out Michael's book, Surfing for God. And then as we wrap up, um, I like to always have some encouragement and I have an encouraging review for on Amazon that was written by a guy. Oh, you mean you weren't going to encourage us? No, no, I don't really need to. My masculinity is offended. You don't need it. My masculinity is offended. (laughs) (laughs) I really need this right now. (laughs) 
So this is a review written by a guy on Amazon, and he said, I'm a single 27-year-old who has never had sex. That's not really our key demographic for the great yeah. sex rescue, so yeah. this is No, I mean, it's great we're reaching them. Yeah, but I saw the author's interview with the Preacher Boys podcast, and I will put a link to that podcast in the podcast notes for this, because that was a good podcast that I was on. Um, and I felt this book had something I needed, and I was right. My dad has not talked with me about his sex life, except to say that sex is painful for my mom, so I probably don't have the best role model here. This book gives me a non-lustful glimpse into the bedroom of both healthy and non-healthy marriages. I feel so much more prepared for marriage, even for relating with women in general, to hear from a woman what makes them feel loved. And thank you so much. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. See, and this is the thing is, I think most guys are like this. You know, we know we're not perfect. You know, mm -hmm. we know that we don't know everything. We just want to learn, right? Yeah. And But we also expect that you're not going to criticize us and cut us down. But mm -hmm. we don't need you to be like lying, mm -hmm. essentially, <laughs> and telling us we're something we're not. Right. We just need honest you know, love and respect in both directions in, in marriages. That's yeah. what we need. And that's a great wrap up to our direct communication month. <laughs> and so check out those posts um, on the podcast. And it's also a direct lead in and a great lead in to our marriage on hard mode. Let's not make things harder <laughs> than they need to be. Yeah.